0: We've discussed close to 150 one-hit wonders on the podcast at this point, but none have had as bizarre of a series of events that led to a hit as Primitive Radio Gods. Producer Matt Kelly considers Standing Outside a Broken Phone Booth with Money in My Hand not only a song title that he's sure to butcher in this episode, but also a song that he considers one of the greatest of the 90s. Does the rest of the band's catalogue live up to the moody vibe of this jam, though? This week, we try to figure out if Primitive Radio Gods leave us downhearted, baby, or if we should bathe ourselves in the zebra flesh of this unique musical project.
1: One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever
0: And it makes me want so matt today we are talking about standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand by the primitive radio gods i never thought that title and band name would ever end
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'll tell you what this is this is going to be part of our like snooze you lose series at some point, someone picked this song. I don't even remember who it was.
0: <laughs> it was Harrison. Harrison, uh, <laughs> my friend Harrison of Bad Boxes. He's like, I want to be on your show and talk about primitive radio gods. I was like, cool. I'll get Matt to hit you up. And then you emailed him and he didn't respond back. So now we're going to talk about
2: it without him. Sorry, yeah, Harrison. I emailed him, I, I emailed him like three times. It wasn't yeah. even just like a one and done This is like one of those songs. When we first started this podcast, I could not wait. For us to talk about the primitive radio gods, I love this. Like this is one of my. I I actually reshared it on Instagram the other day during the pandemic. I got bored one day and did a ranking of the what I thought were the twenty greatest singles of the nineties, specifically all like alternative rock singles. And this made my top ten. I think that this song is unbelievable. Wow. The band though, I we'll, we'll see how I feel, but. I feel like the story of the Primitive Radio Gods is unlike any other story we've discussed for this
0: podcast. Yeah, it's definitely a very original story of how this happened and how this song became a hit. Yeah, this song's a real moody song. Really puts you like, kind of like a song when you're wallowing a little bit to to just get into that
2: mood. It's one of those songs that was on the alternative charts, and, and I understand why it's an alternative rock song, but it really feels like a trip hop song in a lot of ways. Like it's got that like kind of hip hop beat. It's kind of that mellow, like, like I could see the primitive radio gods doing a tour or at least this song feeling at home with like a Portis head. You know what I mean? Like that, that just like really tripped out mellow, like hip hop infused ambient sound
0: (laughs) yeah i (laughs) I mean mean, you're right if their other songs sounded like this
2: (laughs) yeah but it doesn't and doesn't so so and we'll get let's let's start there we'll get to the story of this band because i do think that this is this is an interesting story so Mm that chris o'connor was in a band called I rails and they never had much success they put out four albums after the fourth album still didn't really make any buzz the band kind of slowly broke up But he still had all these song ideas for their next album. So he sat down and he learned how to record and mix these songs himself. And he made a bunch of demos and he named it The Primitive Radio Gods after a song by The I Rails to kind of like keep it tied together, right? He sends all these demos out and gets pretty much no real connections. No one seems to be vibing on it. And he actually becomes disheartened and retires from music, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Then we jump to 1994. Four years later. Four years later, he's cleaning out his house and he finds a stack of these demo tapes and he's just like, you know what? Let's let's give it a shot. I'm going to just ship these to every record label I can think of and see if anything happens. And this is where he meets possibly the biggest (laughs) primitive radio gods fan that has ever existed, Jonathan Daniels who immediately signs him to a publishing deal and gets him a record contract at Columbia records. And this I think is also really cool, right? Chris O'Connor gets this deal. What does he do, but call up his buddies in the eye rails and be like bands back together. We got a new name and a record contract. Come on this journey with me. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's pretty dope that he like goes back to his friends. Like he could have easily just gotten any session musicians or studio guys to tour with him but he was like no I want my boys. But the vibe that I get almost immediately at this story is that what got this dude signed was this song. <laughs> like yeah. they heard this song. This song is immediately like put on the Cable Guy soundtrack. It's released as a single for the Cable Guy soundtrack and as soon as the second single doesn't do well, he's dropped. Like It's like the, well, the record label got exactly what they wanted out of this dude, right. which was this song.
0: Well, Matt, <laughs> like, I got to go back. And, you know, sometimes you mess up the names of things. And this time it wasn't that egregious of a mess up. But his name is actually Jonathan Daniel. And I want to get the name right because this guy's going to come up in the story so many times. And I feel like if it wasn't for Jonathan Daniel, we wouldn't be talking about primitive radio gods right now. That's 100%. That's yeah. He,
2: he gets them signed. And I mean, this song, I really do think that this is when I think of nineties music, one of the things that jumps out at me is that it is an experimental time in music, right? Like people are doing things that, that shouldn't, work that shouldn't make sense. Like even something as simple as like, you know, Nirvana putting out In Utero that's just got like three or four different songs that just start with the most piercing guitar feedback you could possibly get recorded. Like everyone's bending the rules and and how comes this song which practically steals its name from a different song <laughs> He just put the word standing in the front of it. The right. song's a reference to the song outside of a broken phone booth with Money in My Hand. He's sampling, like, the, he's got this hip-hop beat. He's got this little piano piece that's playing, like, in random parts. There's a full piano solo in the middle of it. He's sampling this B.B. King lyric from the song How Blue Can You Get, where he just says, I've been down hard at Baby ever since the day we met.
1: I've been down hard.
2: He's almost turning that into part of the beat. Like it barely even feels like part of the song. And then he's whispering these lyrics and we're, I am excited to break down the lyrics because I think that some of these, not all of it, but I think that there are some really great lines in the lyrics of this song.
0: I never paid attention to the lyrics in this song. I, it was just this whole song is just a mood other than the BB King sample. The yeah. I've been down harder, baby. Like that yeah. to me is the hook. I mean, oh, 100%. of course, but that that's what that's what reeled me in is the the mood, the vibe and that line.
2: Yeah. So let's before we get into what happens later, let's let's talk about the song, right? So, yeah, we've got that sample that I've been down hotter, baby over and over again. Mm. Ever since the day we met. So good. And then he gets the first line. Jen lies down and wrestles in her sleep. The moonlight sh- spills on comic books and superstars and magazines. An old friend calls and tells us where to meet. Her plane took off from Baltimore and is touching down on Bourbon Street. Like, I love that we are we are painting a picture. We are telling a story. This isn't all abstract lyrics. There is a story that's being told within the song, and I and I like there's just like little things where it's like, I wouldn't think to say something like the moonlight spills on the comic books. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's very poetic. We haven't talked about a song with poetic lyrics in a while. I think this has very poetic lyrics. Well,
0: the guy from Geekscape likes the, the line about the moonlight on
2: the comic books. Who'd have thought? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I, I mean, I'm not even a comic book. I just think that it's, it's, You know, there's certain song lyrics where, when you hear it, like if you close your eyes, like I can imagine a person in bed. They're wrestling around. They've maybe just got stacks of comic books and magazines on the floor, and the light from the moon is just like coming through the window and like illuminating the room just a little bit. Like, but it's like it's such a poetic way to explain that. You know what I mean? Like to paint that picture. Yeah, we sit outside and we argue all night long about a god we've never seen, but never fails to side with me. Sunday comes and all the papers say that Ma Teresa's joined the mob and happy with her full time job. Now we're getting into some of that 90s (laughs) abstractive lyrics a little bit, but I do like the lyric uh, about a God we've never seen, but never fails to side with me. I actually like that. As soon as you said that, I'm
0: like, (laughs) oh, I like that line because, yeah, I don't believe in God. But if I did, I'd be like, oh, God kind of hooked me up. Like I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not starving. Like, I have fr- good friends and family and whatever, you know. Like grass is always greener, I suppose. But you know, Matt, our grass is pretty green. So if there was is. a God, if there was a God, he he did hook us up or she.
2: Yeah, he gave he gave us a good deal. Yeah, um, I'm not really sure what the dis in a mom Teresa joining the mom is where he's, where he's coming on that one. But whatever, that's just like '90s slackerness, I guess, or whatever. I also really like this line am I alive or thoughts that drift away? (laughs) Yeah. So he says, am I alive or thoughts that drift away? Does summer come for everyone? And can humans do as prophets say, if I die before I learn to speak, can money pay for all the days I lived awake, but half asleep? A
0: lot to think about deep, deep stuff here.
2: I really like, can money pay for all the days that I lived awake, but was half asleep? Can (laughs) Wait,
0: I'm trying to comprehend what the question is here. Yeah. (laughs) Can, Can, can money pay? Wait, what is it?
2: So he says, I think I get what he's saying. Can money pay for all the days that I lived awake but half asleep?
0: Oh, oh is money worth going and doing some nine to five where you're just like wasting your life away at something you don't want? 100%. Do? But what a way to ask, like That's to good. word
2: that. <laughs> like, I think That's... he's got some really good lyrics here. That's good. A life is time. They teach us growing up. The second's ticking, killing us all a million years before the fall. You ride the waves and don't ask where they go. You swim like lions through the crest and bathe yourself on zebra flesh. Um, So again, getting a little bit more abstract. But to bring it to Punchline for a second, this feels like... Kind of one of my favorite punchline songs with Green Hills, where I feel like Green Hills juggles between these like a very clear, deep statement with like nothing's ever going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. But then it's got these just like very abstract lyrics in the verses. I can speak to that because because you wrote that one. Man. I,
0: well, th- those lyrics, that verse I did. But I can speak to that because what that those are in that song, if you happen to listen to it, is you're look you're you're laying on the hill the green hill and looking up at the clouds and those are things you're seeing in the clouds the the profile of john f kennedy you know lions all all these things you're seeing in the clouds that's what those you know not not to spoil it or anything Yeah, it
2: paints a picture but it's it's in this abstract brush strokes right like it's it's like these these passing thoughts of, like you said, like the things that you're seeing in the clouds looking at it, but then jumping into a very direct statement of the chorus. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be better than you ever could have imagined or different than you ever could have imagined. Sure. And I see that with this song where it's like it jumps between these like very clear he – is, he is clearly stating what is happening in certain parts and then on other parts it's like he's just kind of thinking out loud these things like like I, I'm trying to break down – a life is time, they teach us growing up, the seconds ticking killed us all a million years before the fall. So, I mean, I get the vibe of, like, our time here is limited, so every second is slowly killing us before we eventually die. So, like... All right. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, the
0: advantage that you have when you have a song like this is that you can put poetry to it. Lyrics... Yeah lyrics aren't always poetry because lyrics have to keep in mind the way the consonants and vowels sound as notes as melodies those are important that's why i always can tell when some 99 of the time i can tell when someone like wrote the lyrics first and just jammed them into a melody you know oh, I, there's yeah. like bands within like the punk You know, the punk and emo scene that we used to tour with, I'd be like, oh, God, he just you're stuffing bad poetry in there instead of going with what, like something maybe a little less highbrow (laughs) that fits and flows nicer. But in a song like this, where it's a vibe and the way he's delivering that, it allows him to basically recite poetry. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: Hey there,
2: I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So, if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, Matt, do you think the band t shirt will ever go out of style? No. I mean, even just from a concert shirt perspective, anytime someone goes to a concert, they want to make sure that you know that they were there. And yeah. what better way than through a t shirt?
0: Right. You want to let the world know. So, I think it's always fun to wear a shirt of like a kind of obscure artist or band. And then if someone else who likes that band or artist sees it, you have that instant connection. I think that's awesome. I think I've th- since I, <laughs> it's funny. I'm not this way now, but when I was a teenager, I was so nervous to not be wearing a band t-shirt so that people didn't know that I was into punk rock music. I was so scared that someone might just think I'm a normal guy. I wanted people to think I was a
2: weird guy. <laughs> I I had uh, two friends in high school that literally formed a band. They became friends because on the first day that the kid transferred to our school, he was wearing an RX Bandit shirt. See? And my friend Solomon said... I want to be in a band with that guy.
0: <laughs> and they <laughs> sat down and formed a band. Exactly. Band t-shirts <laughs> and band merchandise bring people together. Which brings me to our sponsor, Rockabilia.com. Yes, they sponsor One Hit Thunder. And you can use the discount code THUNDER when you check out to get 15% off your order. You, I feel like buying band merch is an investment, not only in the artists that you love, funding their career to supply yourself with more music, but also it's an investment because you can wear that t-shirt or hoodie or whatever it is for like your entire life. Unless you like rip it or stain it real bad, you can wear that thing forever. So, you know, you spend 20, 25 bucks on a shirt that for how many wears you get out of it. I mean, that's a great investment. And on top of that, you get 15% off
2: (laughs) at Rockabilia.com. So I don't know much about recording equipment, but the whole album, but specifically this song, was recorded on an Ampex sixteen track recorder, just in a friend's garage. Sure. Do you know anything about the Ampex sixteen? Like, is that a good, a, just an okay, like a standard? I mean, like, what?
0: I don't know the specifics of it, but it wasn't Pro Tools. He wasn't yeah. doing it on like you know some the the equip the stuff that we have at our fingertips now, and I can hear that in it. I can hear the that this was someone that this is a home record this is a well done home recording that then was sent to someone i'm a I'm assuming so who? mixed it and mastered it so that it was good enough to be played on mtv and on the radio and stuff you know i'm sure it wasn't there yet i'm sure there was some help which you we could do your own research on that but i'm yeah. i would i would guarantee that there was it was mixed by someone notable and where i really hear it not that i want to phase out of talking about the song necessarily yet but i got got to talk about it <laughs> the next song that they were trying to make a single from this oh album.
2: Motherfucker, which is a wild call for a radio single, because they can't even say the song's title. I,
0: the so many wild calls. First of all, <laughs> I, first of all, instead of being a vibey, moody, chill song like Phone Booth is, Motherfucker is like a funky jam. <laughs> with kind of like wrapped verses. And this is maybe even more questionable than naming the song motherfucker if you want to get played on the radio is the fact that there are police sirens in the song (laughs) don't do that that is that should be rule number one of recording music don't put like sirens in it because you know what when you're driving down the road and you're listening to it you have that split second where you're like oh
2: shit every time i put in nwa straight out of compton i think it's the first track when they're talking you start to hear police sirens behind it and it it gives me at least a you know like a 2 second moment where i'm like oh shit yes right
0: <laughs> don't do that <laughs> so yeah they're fall follow- they did themselves no favors you know, if we want to talk about why they're a one-hit wonder, they did themselves no favors with what they chose as the second single. Motherfucker, this the funky jam, the funky upbeat jam that has police sirens in it.
2: Yeah, no, not the smoothest move for sure. The only other thing I want to talk about with phone booth, real quick. I don't usually draw from the Wikipedia like composition page because it's usually not information that's that's useful to us, but. They did, uh, in in a couple sentences, really kind of summed up the song, especially if people aren't familiar with this song or, or aren't aware that they're familiar with the song. Um, but it says, Phone uh, Booth is a modern rock song whose lyrics, which are seemingly nonsensical, actually describe the relationship between a man and his partner who are unable to connect emotionally anymore. Mm. The song starts with a quiet bass guitar yeah, and a percussion beat, a clacking percussion beat, before it slowly transitions into the main instrumentation and vocal samples, mm-hmm. um, and and I do I love that it just kind of starts with that like you hear the you hear the keys or the the quarters going into the phone booth and then it is that bass line right out the gate mm-hmm. um, before even the samples come in and I can kind of get that vibe of like because we do describe so it's it's the su- the singer and Jan are meeting and then he says that they sit outside and they argue all night long and then I think from that point it is like. I think we're just reading the thoughts and conversations in this argument, and 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 how they just can't connect on anything at this point. They they've just been so separated over time, and they've been downhearted ever since the day they met. Um, but yes, so let's jump into what they did next. They they try to put out this single motherfucker.
0: What do you think about the rest of the album? It seems like Phone Booth is like the anomaly on this album.
2: It is. Yeah, I bought this album. Because of how much I like the song Phone Booth. And, you know, when people talk about the positives of like streaming or song downloading, because sometimes you would spend money on a record that only had one good song. Unfortunately, that's kind of how I felt about this album. I was like, this I wanted an album that had that vibe laid-back mood that this song puts me in. And I I admittedly probably should have checked out some of their more recent albums because what this first album feels like is him trying to find his sound you know what i mean like him exploring all these different genres and i wonder if those other later albums have more of what i'm looking for which is that like more songs that sound like this because he found that that was the sound that worked best after experimenting with all these different genres
0: spoiler alert that does happen <laughs> okay I will, cool i will tell you that i i dug into lots of stuff and not exactly like this, but more moody, more vibey, yeah. more. And part of it, man, is th- this album, this first album. Yeah, motherfucker was a terrible second single
2: choice. But, but there wasn't a ton of options.
0: There was, yeah, there wasn't. <laughs> this was the, he he released the home recording. Like, yeah. And I'm not against home recordings, but at this point, you had this really cool song. Which whether you want to release your home recording version, I guess that was the right choice. It was a hit song, but you could have like. Columbia Records could have been like, hey, do you want to go in the studio and like do the rest yeah, of it? Yeah, you want to beef this up just a little bit? <laughs> like, and, and here's here's what I think is messed up, actually. So Columbia dropped them out of nowhere in seven.
2: Yeah, this is where it gets crazy. Drops them out of nowhere, our boy Jonathan Daniels comes back into but, the stories, swings but in to save the day. Jonathan Daniel, <laughs> first of all. Second, Daniel, sorry. Second of all,
0: the fucked up part about this is, I don't know if it's the album or the single. I think it's probably the album went
2: gold. Like, yeah, the album itself went gold, gold off of this single. Half
0: a million copies, five hundred thousand copies, and this is why major labels—you know, you know—it's a real gamble if you're going to go to a major label. So you made Columbia millions of dollars. That album cost them nothing to make. He made nothing. that. Nothing. It was at already home. done, <laughs> and, and he got a hit song out of it, and he didn't give the dude a second album. Like you're just going to drop him. That's
2: fucked. Well, then it only gets more fucked for this poor guy because Jonathan Daniel swings in, gets them signed to Sire Records. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he gets them signed to Sire Records just as they're having a merger. Right. And because of that merger they have a second album re- recorded it's ready to go they keep pushing back the release of this album it gets to the point that literally all of the band members including o'connor have to take day jobs right. because the money is just there's there's no money coming in they're waiting for this to happen and then after i think it was like 4 years they just get dropped from sire records well, and the album doesn't even come out
0: <laughs> you're leaving out the part where uh, Chris O'Connor took a job as a flower delivery man.
2: Yeah, flower delivery man. The but dude then just had a-, a
0: gold record within the past <laughs> like 600 days, and now he's delivering <laughs> flowers. Like, come on.
2: Jesus. And then, again, the third and final time we'll mention him, Jonathan Daniel, continuing to be the biggest primitive radio gods believer in the world, just starts on his own record label so they can release this album. And I think he releases like two or three albums for them for a while and they are still a band they released what i guess is their last album in 2020 which was named i'm pretty sure it was named the last <laughs> the last lp or something like that like yeah. the final lp the album, which could the album that could was keep released the door on-, on for mm-hmm. eps but whatever <laughs>
0: but well, the album that was released on What Are Records, which was the Colorado indie label, I didn't know that Jonathan Daniel started that label. Yeah. But yeah, it was after London Sire dropped the band. The album is called White Hot Peach. And on that album, I listened to some songs. There's a song called Fading Out, and there's a song called Whatever Wakes McCool, and they're much more in the feel of Phone Booth. Not that lo-fi sampled, but more the mood. You know, if you put those songs on next to phone booth you'd be like okay yeah. yeah this is keeping me in that same mood
2: that's the strike for rocket rocket is a jarring jumbling of genres for 10 straight tracks right. like nothing makes sense or bleeds in to the next because you really shouldn't just release a demo as a feature length like that's not how you should put out well, albums
0: yeah you shouldn't <laughs> but he did and sold half a million
2: copies. He sold it, that is true. Give, that is very true.
0: Give the guy a second album. He just made you millions of dollars, at
2: least. And get, like you said, it cost you zero dollars to invest in this this thing.
0: Give him a hundred thousand dollar recording budget. Let him let him have that chance. He just made you, He just got you a gold record for your record label, like. I mean, imagine if that was an independent record label that sold half a million records. That would, that would make people's careers lives. But Columbia is like, nah, peace. Yeah. We don't know the ins and outs of personalities and stuff. Who knows what kind of person Chris O'Connor is. Jonathan Daniel seems to think he's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, Jonathan Daniel really believes in this guy. So the other thing that I want to bring up actually is... With with that gold record, this song peaked at number one on the Alternative Airplay chart. Uh, it peaked on July 27th, 1996. It unseated Butthole Surfer's Pepper as the number one song. And it stayed there for six weeks, which is a really long time for any song to sit on a specific genre chart. Uh, it was eventually taken off the number one slot from Pearl, by Pearl Jam for their song, uh, Who You Are. But... It didn't just appear on the alternative playlist chart. It hit number 10 on the radio songs chart. It hit number 19 on the adult top 40 chart. It hit 32 on the modern rock chart. And it hit number seven on the mainstream top 40 chart. Like this song was actually kind of hitting so many different genres and marks, which I think is why that album sold as well as it did was it, it wasn't this song that was funneling people to one specific radio station. Like you could play this on your Like, you could put this on your adult contemporary station. You could put it on your alternative rock station, and it would fit on both formats in a weird way. Like, it was a really genre-defying song. Yeah. Just give the guy a chance to actually form out his thoughts more than the demo that cost you $0 to release. That's what I'm saying. I mean, (laughs) it was perfect timing.
0: Midnight. You're talking smack in the middle of the 90s. It was perfect timing for something experimental, weird, out of the... Out of the norm to become a hit song. I didn't know it was this big of a hit, this many charts. Yeah. Number one for six weeks. I mean, I know the alternative chart or whatever isn't like a main chart, but still number one for six weeks straight. That's for seems... six
2: straight weeks. That's impressive. Yeah, and this is why i've I've talked about this before. My favorite time in music is that post Kurt Cobain death time where they're just record labels are just throwing money. At whoever they think could be the next Kurt Cobain, and like the downside of that story is you get situations like, like what we're talking about here with Paranormal Radio Gods, or even with the Butthole Surfers. If you remember that Butthole Surfers episode, like they kind of got shafted pretty hard on their deal with like albums getting held up forever that they couldn't release and being forced to like collaborate with Kid Rock and shit. But you know, these are bands that four years earlier would have. Case in point, four years earlier, no one wanted any of this when he sent out the demos. Like, like it really took Kurt Cobain showing that you could do weird music and then Kurt Cobain not being here anymore for all of these labels to scramble to find something that fit that Cobain-shaped hole. And you got some really cool experimental songs on the radio that had no business being on the radio even like two years prior. I just think it's such an interesting time for music because of that
0: yeah yeah i would agree with that it's the weens of the world that were on major
2: labels in the 90s like and daniel johnston was on a major record label (laughs) like i mean i guess we can we can kind of lean into like the the thunder blunder portion of it but like you know if i'm basing it on just the album rocket I would be inclined to say that I thought that this was a bit of a blunder, that it was that it was this one great song in a sea of of kind of miserable songs. But I can't do that. A, I love this song too much, but B, I really do think that this is like I think the blunder is the record label not trying to let this complete a thought. You know what I mean? Like like you like we've been saying, we're listening to a demo that was recorded 5 years before the song was released. On a fly, like that record company should have given him at least one album to update his thoughts (laughs) and and like do something that was more fresh in his head than like, hey, here's a bunch of random ideas that I had in 1990 that I just put onto a record. But also, flip side of that is like, I feel like this song is fucking ahead of its time if you think about it coming out in 1990. Like, <laughs> like this song yeah. totally makes sense in 96. It seems like an alien created this if it was 1990 and the song came out. Right. What what year was it that this peaked? Uh, 1996 was when 96. it peaked. Okay.
0: So you're, you're still talking about an era where on the mainstream radio, you're talking about Hootie and the Blowfish. You're talking about... The Rembrandts, I'll be there for you. You're talking about like stuff like that. Delamitri, that is popular. And for this song to, you know, make an impact, being so, you know, to a certain extent, it's pretty lo fi. I mean, it's a home recording that blew up. I think the biggest blunder in this entire story is them getting dropped. Like, I know Columbia Records bands and artists are probably a dime a dozen, but this artist this chris o'connor primitive radio gods deserved more for getting a gold having a home recording go gold deserves so much more
2: yeah so i mean like i said i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go with thunder on this i think that this song is as i said in the very beginning one of the best singles on alternative radio in the 90s i think it's so different and unique than anything else going on i think that the lyrics are fantastic And I'm going to have to go check out that second album now because I kind of wrote off this band for a really long time because of how disappointed I was from the song Rocket, from the album Rocket in comparison to the rest of their stuff. But if you're saying that he got to formulate his thoughts and create stuff that was a little bit more moodier and more, you know, not like a carbon copy of this song, but more in that, that, setting a mood vibe, then I am so on board for more of that.
0: Yeah. The album White Hot Peach that was released in 2000, that song Fading Out and the song Whatever Wakes McCool, really cool. There's a song on it called Gotta Know Now, which is, it's different. It's like a jangly, more upbeat song. And I think there's, there's an instrument in it that I couldn't figure out what it was. And my only guess was... It might be a penny whistle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so still some sort of like experimental stuff. I think it's cool that Primitive Radio Gods are still at it. I mean, just in recent years, they toured with, or at least did some shows with Toad the to Wet Sprocket. And I like the uh, stick to of this band because they were put through the ringer, the major label ringer that we have been lectured about as artists forever. This big gamble, you know, that could pay off definitely pays off for some people but i think more people than it pays off for it is a end of their career type move so um yeah i would say the primitive radio gods is thunder i don't care what
1: anyone has to say i choose to live
2: This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ofallos of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me you're hearing the Punchline song, Whatever I Want, off their remix album Politefully Dead. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now! Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash OHTPodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? contact Chris and myself at we know for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate review and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app and tune in next week for more one hit thunder.